Welcome to Click, Treat, Repeat. This is a horse-focused podcast discussing positive reinforcement training, equine management and welfare, and other horse-related topics. So let's get started. I used a lot of protected contact at the shelter with dogs that were aggressive who could barely even be handled. Unfortunately, a lot of those dogs just get euthanized, but at least they had a shot. If I had worked with them in full contact, I don't think they would have lasted very long. And some of those dogs did get adopted and they're very successful. So using protected contact also is great between all species. You see it in zoo animals, a lot of marine animals. Sometimes they'll go in the aquariums and stuff with them, but it's common in other animals. So I don't know why it's not used as much in horses. Even with positive reinforcement, I feel like a lot of people are pretty quick to just jump in there with them. Yeah, that's very true. And I think, I mean, like you mentioned with zoo animals, there is the whole thing of like the fact that we can even give zoo animals vaccines without having to literally shoot them with a stun gun and then go in there and be able to give them the vaccines while they're knocked out. Like the fact that we can actually just give them the vaccines is because of positive reinforcement and protected contact. Like we can teach them to come up to the fence and I mean, through cooperative care, basically, consent to get their shots or whatever medical treatment they need that can be performed through a fence to, you know, just get that done in a much safer way because you're behind a fence and much less stressful way to the animal because they're consenting to it and they don't have to get shot with a stun gun and overall less time consuming because you don't have to go through all that. All you have to do is just kind of train them, train the behavior, and then they're ready to kind of step up there and get their shot usually. So I think that is, you know, very, very cool. And if we could train tigers and crazy, I mean, tigers aren't crazy, but you know what I mean? (laughs) They're just like potentially dangerous and they're not an animal that we regularly interact with. We can train them to do it. Why can't it also work for our more companion animals like dogs and horses and even cats and all sorts of animals? Yeah, exactly. I don't really know where else to go with this topic either. We kind of on a million tangents. (laughs) Oh my god, I know. I feel like there was one more big thing I wanted to talk about, but now I'm having trouble remembering what it is. Oh, yeah, I think we should talk a little bit about like, I don't know how to say this in a way that's not going to be offensive, but not not like to you, just like people who do this, but um, people who train their dogs pretty positively and yet at the same time turn around and go and use like whips and spurs and bits and harsh things on their horses because I think that is like a pretty decent group of people because a lot of horse people are animal lovers and probably have dogs at home and you know maybe they treat those dogs also aversively but I think there are at least a significant number of people who do kind of train their dogs at least more positively if not you know fully with positive reinforcement but still kind of use the aversive equipment on their horses. So, I mean, I think what we've kind of talked about here can help people see that there is a parallel between dog training and horse training and that a lot of the things that work with horses or dogs can also work with the other species in terms of, you know, clicker training and positive reinforcement because it's all the same principles. I mean, you can use it to train really any species that is capable of learning. So there's no reason why it can't apply to both animals. And so I think like we've kind of laid out how that parallel exists and whatnot through every all the tangents that we've gone on (laughs) but I don't know is there anything else you want to say about that kind of point 
I don't know. I feel like it's really common, sadly. Like a lot of time in classes, if someone brings a dog, I can usually tell they're a horse person before they say they are just based on how they treat their dog. And they do typically grow a lot within the weeks of the class, but it's just sad that they will likely continue to use positive reinforcement with their dog, but it never connects that they can do the same thing with their horse. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think a lot of people who have family pets as dogs or you know, whatever, a lot of the time that dog does kind of feel like it becomes part of their family. I mean, I know I've had that happen with my family. Like my parents are not dog trainers or any type of animal trainers. They don't understand anything about training or learning theory other than the things that I've told them. And even then, I'm not sure they've listened to me, but (laughs) they, yeah, they don't have that knowledge. But still, just from having our dog living in our family and interacting with us, they've kind of developed like a feeling that this is our family member and they know that they aren't gonna you know use any real aversive things with him they don't yell at him they don't hit him they don't use like prongs or aversive equipment like that they I mean he's not the best mannered dog but they're just kind of like this is our family member and he is sometimes not well mannered and that's okay and I mean that's not ideal because they ideally they would be trained to have you know better quote-unquote manners but also if they're fine with how he's acting then it's fine so I think like a lot of people kind of think of it like that but then when I was doing like you know riding lessons or whatnot and my parents would be there they just were like yeah this is totally normal that this would happen with horses so I think even people that do kind of have that very close non-aversive relationship with their dogs they still just go to the barn and they're like oh this is a completely different situation a completely different animal but I think like increasing the knowledge of learning theory and really understanding that this is how we all learn will help people realize that we can use different methods with horses too and with dogs. I think, you know, the more and more people have horses as pets too than just like showing horses or working horses. I think, you know, that is like, that is the majority of horses now, but I think it's still increasing as well. And I think that that will also help as people kind of learn that there are things you can do with your horse other than just like traditional riding and showing that are also pretty fun and pretty cool. Yeah, I feel like a big issue too between horses and dogs is that dogs live with us. So we see them all the time. We have so many opportunities to reinforce or punish them. Ideally not punishing, but people do still. So it happens. But with dogs, we see the behaviors that we don't want. Like if someone comes in and they're jumping and maybe you hate dogs who jump, you're probably going to be more likely to fix that. Whereas if a horse is pawing in the cross ties, you only see that however many times you're at the barn. And only when they're in cross ties so you're not going to be as driven to help them with that behavior yeah that's very true and then I think you know it also relates to like we've discussed before dog body language is still extremely overlooked and not understood but there are certain indicators like the you know yelps and kind of audible noises they make that can let you know that they don't like something that hurt them but people I think with horses largely because they don't make those type of sounds usually it's very difficult to understand what they're communicating unless you make an effort to learn their body language especially because so much of learning about horses for kids typically is just riding I mean you might tack up hopefully you tack up your own horse but then you know you're riding for most of the lesson and so all you can really see is what you can see from their back which is not really a lot of a lot of their 
indicators. I mean, you really need to be able to see their face, see what their tail's doing, see, you know, how they're moving, how their, if their body's tense, if their back is hollow, those type of things. And we just can't see those things when we're riding. So I think that's also another factor is like, we just have an even worse understanding of horse communication, even though we already have a pretty bad understanding of dog (laughs) communication as well. Yeah. Dog communication is really not most people's strong suit like the laying on their back most people are like oh they want a belly rub and like no your dog's terrified (laughs) and we see that all the time with both species really like with horses a common thing I had with wonder was that he would rub his head on me when he was stressed it was just a behavior he did to display that and it was annoying sure and it could potentially be dangerous but instead of punishing that I looked at what was actually going on and tried to help it and I think with both animals and probably many other species too we need to put more focus on their body language and communication rather than just wanting to stop a behavior Yeah, that's so true. I mean, the other day when I had a dog kind of like be reactive towards me and kind of lunge at me and try to bite me. um, Afterwards, she was laying on the ground and panting. And yeah, kind of like you said, like kind of laying on her back and whatnot. And like somebody there was like, Oh, wow, like now she looks really calm. And then somebody else was like, Um, no, she is panting. And she's very stressed. And it was like, Yeah. (laughs) So there definitely is this like disconnect between you know, who or between like, what the dog is actually expressing and what we think. But I do think, you know, it's a little better than horses just because of the fact that dogs do make those kind of audible noises. Dogs also tend to make much better eye contact with humans, which may not really help that much, but um, I think it does help. I read somewhere, I don't know if this is true, but I read that dogs are the only non-primate animal that seeks out eye contact with humans. And I feel like that could be true. I mean, with my horses, I don't feel that they make eye contact with me really. I mean, they might look at me, but it's not, you know, it doesn't feel like eye contact the way it does with dogs really. I feel like it depends on the breed, honestly, or even just the individual, because I have two very anxious dogs and they're okay with some eye contact, but if you held a stare, I think they would have some real issues with that. So I think it kind of just depends, but I agree that horses don't typically seek out eye contact nearly as much as a dog would. Yeah, that makes sense. That's definitely a good point. It would depend on the individual. But yeah, I mean, I feel like even when my horses are looking at my eyes, I'm looking at their horses. It just doesn't, uh, their horses, their eyes. <laughs> it just doesn't really feel like, I don't know. It's it's like just not the same eye contact. Like when I'm looking at a dog and making eye contact, it feels like looking at a human's eyes. Whereas I feel like looking at a horse, it's just like, you don't feel like they're really like looking at you the same way that a dog is. And that's just a weird way of phrasing it. But I mean, I do think it is. I think what I said about the, you know, eye contact from dogs does come from a legitimate scientific source. I just don't have it here as usual. I always <laughs> think of things and then I'm like, I don't remember where this came from, but I'm pretty sure it is legit but (laughs) not ideal but you know I I can't always have every resource in front of me so to be fair we picked this topic like right before we started (laughs) that is true yes and I also don't know that much about dogs but I mean thankfully a lot of it can be related to horses so that is another thing that hopefully people will learn from this is that even if you don't know that much about dogs or that much about horses if you know a lot about one or the other you're on a pretty good track there are specific things for each species that you do need to learn but a lot of the training principles and even like I know we were talking the other day a lot of the calming signals between horses and dogs are actually very very similar as well so 
you know, there are a lot of things that you can just kind of carry over um, in certain areas. Yeah, I had a very not normal start to positive reinforcement because I started with horses and then went to dogs. But honestly, all the information I took from horses really does apply to dogs besides obviously the species-specific things. That's going to be different. But a lot of the training processes and the use of like lower value reinforcers and all the scientific stuff like contra freeloading, all of that applies to dogs the same as it does horses. The one thing I feel like with dogs is that they tend to be quicker learning things. I don't think it's necessarily because they're smarter. I think they can just sometimes be more food or toy driven than horses. But again, it all depends on the individual and how they're managed. There's so many things that go into it. That's true. And I think a lot of the time dogs maybe are a little bit better adapted to like learning from us just because we live with them like you were talking about before. So they're more used to like what our body language is and what we're doing with them and also have more opportunities to like work with them on the things if they're always around us. Whereas horses like they see us like maybe once a day at most. I mean, maybe if you take care of your own horses, maybe they see you two or three or more times a day. But I think most people at most are seeing the horse once a day. Like people who board or you know things like that so I mean they're just not getting the same type of interaction and I mean I think there are there are studies out there that show that horses do pick up on human body language and even human facial expressions but it's I feel like it is limited because of the limited contact we have with them yeah definitely I mean, it's just, it's hard because like, you know, the principles are the same, but sometimes I still feel extremely awkward when I train another species, like trying to train my guinea pigs. I'm just like, oh, I know it's like the same, but also what the heck are these little creatures? (laughs) And like, I, I mean, I take care of them every day. I live in the same space as them. I interact with them, but I'm still like, oh, I don't really know how to train you. And it's also partially because they are extremely fearful of me. Whereas, you know, that can happen with horses and dogs for sure. But I think for the most part when you interact with a horse or dog they've they have some type of you know history with humans where they might allow the human to approach them or allow them to be touched not all of them again there are extreme cases where that's not the case but it's definitely tougher when they don't allow you to approach or touch them yeah we want to get chickens like purely as pets because we don't eat eggs so I am very nervous to see how training goes with that eventually because I haven't worked with birds at all so that's like completely foreign to me (laughs) yeah that'll be really interesting Joe is talking about wanting to get chickens too but I don't think she will for like another year or something so I probably wouldn't be living here anymore when she gets them but I think that's really interesting So would you still not eat the eggs even from your own chickens? Because I personally, like, I know every person's different on this, but I feel like I would eat eggs if they came from animals that I was like, oh, you know, I'm caring for them and they are very happy and they're having their needs met. And, you know, if I don't eat this egg, it's just going to end up getting thrown out because it's not going to become a baby chicken. So like, I mean, I'm obviously not judging you for saying no, but I'm just wondering, like, what's your thought process on that? Would you eat them or not? I don't think so. Like, I wouldn't be opposed. I just think eggs are nasty. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) I would feed them to my dogs. That'd be fine with me, but I wouldn't want them. (laughs) That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But I, yeah, I think it would be better if I knew what was actually happening to the animal, if I were to eat animal products, but it's just eggs are gross to me. I'd rather eat tofu scramble. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's very fair. (laughs) I remembered what I was going to say before now, so thanks for rambling. (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) Uh, I was going to say something about uh, their 
previous training in reinforcement history as well, because horses, I feel like, are so often trained traditionally that when we do start to do something else, they might struggle with that. Whereas dogs, not always, obviously, there's a lot of violence used in dog training, but they're more likely to not have that background. So I think that's why sometimes the learning process happens a bit quicker, because their interactions with people have been mostly positive where with horses who knows what happened but it's likely not great yeah exactly and I think the whole traditional horse training process really discourages any type of creativity or any type of offering behavior so when you're then moving to a type of training where you're like okay now I want you to like offer a behavior or you know give it a shot and see what you can do they're very scared of being wrong and so that's going to kind of make it harder to get in that process and get it going and I mean it Definitely a lot of them will open up and become more creative again, but it's very hard for them to do that because they're so worried of being wrong. And I think, you know, that can happen with dogs as well. But I think playing with dogs or, you know, even if you are somebody who does aversive training and, you know, you use a prong or whatever, I think if you, you know, there's still that idea of like, yeah, my dog might still want to play in the yard or whatever. So they still have like times when they can express themselves around the human to some extent. Whereas like horses, a lot of the time you show up tap ride and then put them back and they're just sort of like a machine where they can't play or express any type of movement at all that's not what you are asking them to do and so yeah I think like dogs definitely can be an R shutdown as well but I think it's especially for horses where it is that limited interaction where they're being asked to pretty much solely work in that time that makes it very hard for them to then want to be creative. Yeah, exactly. I don't know the background of either of my dogs, really. Sage was a stray in Texas. Who knows for how long? I don't know if anyone claimed him or who found him. I have no idea about the situation, but he was really shut down when we got him, and he still relies a lot on me cueing him to do things. He lacks a lot of creativity. We're working on that, obviously, but there's a lot of things we had to work on before that. But with Truffle, he's younger and he, I don't know his background entirely either. He came from Kashina, somewhere north of me in Wisconsin. And a lot of the dogs there are typically outside dogs with really limited human interaction. So he definitely was under socialized. Like it's very apparent. But his creativity is way more obvious than Sage's. He's very happy to offer new behaviors and he's quicker to learn things usually because he offers behaviors. He's pretty comfortable playing around on random equipment or I don't know, just anything. He's way, way, way more creative and just into the training. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, it definitely at sometimes could be more of a personality thing too, but definitely the reinforcement history is such a big thing. And that's interesting that you can see kind of like that big difference in your dogs. I definitely think like over time, I've seen a difference in my horses. Like when I first started working with them, they were just like, what are we doing? Like, well, I have no clue what we're doing. Like if I just put an object in front of them, they would just like stare at it and stand still and not move at all. But now they're like a lot more creative. Like I've been working on teaching them to push the ball with their nose and we'll do like like 10 reps of them pushing the ball with their nose and then they're suddenly like how about now I kick the ball with my foot or something and it's just like oh that's sweet that they're like offering an interesting behavior and I would like to also teach them to kick the ball at some point hopefully with a different ball so that they can you know know that this is the ball we push with our nose and this is the ball we kick I could also just teach two different cues but I think it would be more successful if I used a different ball so yeah that's what I will do but yeah it's it's nice to see them just like offer things and you know it's somewhat like oh my gosh we just did 10 reps of this like 
why are you now kicking it are you frustrated or something but it's also like I mean they're just trying things out sometimes and that's cool I've seen similar things with my horses too. Wander is like the only animal that I have really any background on at all. I know he was a show horse for a while, but like really casual, just small open shows. But he still isn't super creative. And I've had him, I think almost four years now. It's been a while. And he's starting, like he will offer some things, but he also is really dependent on my cues and body language. And it's really hard to get him to try new things. Whereas Pharaoh, who had pretty limited human contact at all, as a way more creative and happy to offer things. So I do think that background and obviously their personality play a big role in that too. Yeah, for sure. And I definitely see Tiny is a lot less willing to offer behaviors too than the girls are. And that's interesting to me. And he also has the most health issues of the three and is sometimes pretty kind of slow and hesitant with his movement. So I think it's partially that as well. He's just not feeling his best and he does enjoy training. He, you know, chooses to participate in it. And I think it's a good activity for him to, you know, have some enrichment and to just play some games and whatnot. But he definitely is a little bit less creative. And I do think that medical stuff might play a role too. Yeah, I could see that. I know that's probably the issue with Sage because he has pretty severe anxiety, I would say. It's a lot better now. And he is medicated, which helps a lot. But there is still some fear there with offering new things or seeing new people or being new places. I think, yeah, the health issues, mental and physical, I think do really play a role in obviously their day-to-day life but also training yeah for sure I definitely think that that's true and I mean some of the behaviors can just be more difficult for them to do like physically too I mean or you know because of their mental health as well but I know like for example one of the horses we were working with over the weekend had a neck injury and he's now recovered from it and you know he can put his neck all the way to the ground and eat and everything's fine like he grazes he's good everything's fine now but when we were asking him to touch a target that was right on the ground you could tell that he was hesitant to do that because he was remembering like, oh yeah, I had some neck pain here for a while. And like for a while, I think he wasn't even able to to graze on the ground after his injury. And he had to, you know, eat out of like hay bags and stuff like that that were raised up. I'm not totally sure on that because I didn't know him at that time, but that's what I thought I understood from what they told me. And so, yeah, things like that. I mean, he may still have some residual pain from that, or it may just be like the memory of, yeah, this used to really hurt. And so I don't want to do this. And, you know, those types of things can also limit what behaviors they're willing to offer. Yeah. So as always, management, (laughs) management and lifestyle really matter. Yes. We could just like turn on (laughs) the recording and be like, remember to focus on management and lifestyle and then end it. And that would just be like the same. (laughs) That's like the entire podcast, but it's so important. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Click Treat Repeat. Feel free to check us out on Instagram at Click Treat Repeat Pod. You can find Jen at Genuine Equine and myself at Bonafide.bt. We upload new episodes every Monday and hope to see you then. Happy training!